Kelly Nelson, episode one, touchdowns and turnbuckles. How you doing, buddy? Doing great, man. This is going to be fun. This is going to be fun. So this is going to be a seven-part series where Kelly brings us the touchdowns related to the turnbuckles. Did I say it right? Yeah, I said it yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to have yeah. a seven-part series of ex-football players that transitioned afterwards to become wrestlers. This first episode is OGs, but what other episodes are we going to jump into here, Kelly? Yeah, well, we'll start with the pioneers, you know, Roaring Twenties guys, Great Depression guys, and we'll go into college, guys who excelled in college uh, for football, who excelled in the CFL. I'm Canadian. Of course, we've got to talk about the CFL. Uh, AFL, 60s league that eventually merged with the NFL. Um, there's going to be a few side uh, episodes where we kind of focus uh, more specifically on like one area or one team. And we'll end it all with the NFL greats, of course. And that should be around the time the Super Bowl comes out. Yeah, it's going to be a look at wrestlers that were notable in both football and wrestling. And, and usually you're more notable in one or the other. But I want to focus especially on the football side of things. Because right now in 2023, I'm way more into football than wrestling. Uh, that's the main thing. Ryan, you asked me to do a video project. And I didn't have to think too long. I thought, yeah, let's do something like this. Um, it should be interesting because I've always wanted to sort of dive into the stats, you know, that are available for these guys to see just how, you know, how good were they as football players? And why didn't it pan out for them and, and having to go to wrestling instead? Uh, this first part will be more towards uh, the wrestling side of things because we're talking about guys where the records for their football careers are just pretty spotty. Some of them, though, well, there's quite a bit. I mean, one guy in particular we're going to talk about is a pretty famous football player, and there's lots of uh, football info on him. But um, especially the first guy we're going to be talking about tonight, there's not much football info other than he did play college football at one point. So we'll be talking more about his wrestling achievements. And before we go in, I'll just rattle up some references that I used for this uh, timeout. Wrestling Data, my go-to site for uh, wrestling info heroes and icons from ecw press a great book out there with tons of uh entries on old wrestlers uh the online world of wrestling especially for this episode because there's a bit about uh from luthez's book hooker that is uh important and college and pro football reference i'm going to be using those extensively i use them very uh, heavily in my everyday life to begin with. So uh, we'll be using all those uh, for the, the stats side of thing. Kayfabe Memories, the old message board that's still kicking around these days, has a lot of info on obscure topics. So I definitely use them to find info on one spef uh, specific guy uh, today that I wasn't aware of otherwise. So tip of the hat to Kayfabe Memories. And of course, a little bit of Wikipedia because you just can't avoid it. And it's the easy uh, easy peasy way to go for info. So that's the references. And now we'll jump into the, to the uh, football players. At the end of each episode, sure. we are going to build a depth chart, plug in our guards. We're going to plug in our tackles, mm -hmm. our running backs, our quarterbacks. And at the end of all seven mm -hmm. episodes, we're going to have a full depth chart, hopefully of an offense and a full chapter chart of a defense, hopefully. And we're going to kind of have a little all-star team together. You know, that's a nice fun way mm -hmm. to kind of add them all together. And we also are going to have a recurring list of wrestling matches that we recommend mm -hmm. from these said wrestlers and fo slash football players. So a little extra wrestling football at the end and uh, go Patriots, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, that's week one, so Eagles and Patriots. So it'll be settled. It'll be settled very quickly this year. <laughs> All right, let's kick. So, Kelly, the first guy we got here is Wayne Munn. Take it away, pal. Yeah, Wayne Munn. So I'm sure there was uh, earlier guys that that played football and also wrestled. Um, but those names are lost to time. Wayne Munn is the first like, significant name that came from a football background that got into wrestling. And his um, accomplishments in wrestling were pretty significant. And considering the short period of time that he wrestled, he was involved in some important stuff. But we'll get to the football side because that's the most important thing. So Wayne was born February 19th, 1896. There's going to be just a couple of 19th century guys that we're going to get out of the way <laughs> right quick. I think the first two guys we talk about. Uh, and he was born in Colby, Kansas. So I think he was a farm boy. Um, he was a big, big man, six foot two. Um, there's a, there was a podcast I listened to last week by the Pro Wrestling History Nerds that had him at six foot six, but I don't think that's accurate. We'll be looking at a picture coming up, and it looks like, I, yeah, he couldn't have been six foot six, but six foot two at that time made him a giant among men. It's still, <laughs> you're still pretty much a giant among men if you're six foot two. Um, 230 pounds, he's a big boy, and he went to the University of Nebraska. So this was pre, you know, Big Eight, of course, way before the Big 12. And while well, they're in the Big 10 now, it's confusing. There's been so many changes and there's more changes to come. Um, but back then, yeah, back then, let me get the conference up here. I forget what it was called. Anyway, 1916, 1917. Um, I'm not 100% sure on both those years. Um, for sure, uh, 1916, 1917, I wasn't too sure about, and he was a guard and there's not much info on his football days. Uh, it was basically the university of Nebraska site that I checked out and it just had a brief couple sentences and listing his position. So there wasn't much going on. So this was during world war one when he played uh, at college. And they were Nebraska. Yeah, see, he's in the middle there, Wayne. So he towered over his uh, classmates. I'm not sure if the date on that says 1927. So that was 10 years after his playing days. So I don't know if that was a contemporary photo or one from when he was actually at Nebraska. But just to go back, uh, Nebraska was part of the Missouri Valley Intercollegiate Athletic Association. That's a mouthful. Um, it's a good thing they <laughs> changed that. But during Wayne's days, that was their uh, conference. And they did win the conference, I believe, both those years, 1916 and 1917. So even back then, well, I guess it's funny. I grew up in the 90s as a college football fan. So I always think of Nebraska as a powerhouse, but they, they really haven't mm -hmm. been since the 1990s. But uh, back then in Wayne Munn's day. Now. Yeah, yeah, no, it's been a long time. Um, but back in Wayne Munn's days, they were already a, a significant football power. And while he was at Nebraska, he also played basketball, he boxed, and he wrestled and did win the heavyweight championship of the Missouri Valley Conference. So he did have some wrestling experience, which is interesting um, to note 
because uh, later on we're going to be talking about how he didn't have any wrestling experience, or at least compared to uh, his contemporaries. And he served in World War One, and was uh, in in at least one spot that I looked at. He was noted as being a war hero, so he he did well there. And so he came back. The NFL hadn't even um, been formed at this point. It wouldn't be until 1920. And even in the early days, it had a different name that off the top of my head, I can't think of, but I think it was as complicated as the Missouri Valley Intercollegiate, whatever. Um, and, and there was no money or very little money to be had. So Munn never played professional football. He tried boxing and that was his first uh, attempt to use, use his athleticism to make money as a, an, a, an adult. But his uh, pro boxing career, uh, was short and not impressive. He was knocked out in the only two fights that he ever fought professionally. So he wasn't uh, cut out for the fight game, but he was cut out for the uh, squared circle in a different way. So he was noticed by promoter Billy Sando, who was a major wrestling promoter at the time, partnered with Ed Strangler Lewis and Toots Mont. They were the Gold Dust Trio. They controlled a lot of uh, the wrestling uh, landscape as it was in the 1920s. Sandow basically recruited Munn. And the idea was that, and this was in in concert with Ed Strangler Lewis, they were all booking things and Toots, I guess, too. Um, the idea was we'll have this big giant of a man, not a pro wrestler, but known for his athleticism, known for his football prowess, to come in and upset uh, in one of his first matches, the great Ed Strangler Lewis, who had been the champion for a long time and was well-known around the country. This was at a time when wrestling was relatively uh, popular nationwide. It would get even more so in the 1930s, but Ed Strangler Lewis was definitely a household name uh, if you were a sports fan at the time. Sure. And so Munn started in 1924 wrestling. Um, wrestled not a ton of matches, I don't think, before the big one. And that was in Kansas City, January 8th, 1925, against Ed Strangler Lewis for the world title. And Kansas City was kind of like, um, it was definitely a hometown crowd for Munn. He was from Nebraska, uh, or he was born in Kansas. And he had the Nebraska tie. And then uh, with Missouri, Kansas City, all very close. Uh, so it was a very pro Wayne Munn crowd and he defeated Stranger Lewis as was the plan. Um, and he used and had been using, uh, I think wrestling or, uh, sorry, football style moves like tackles and, and, and stuff like that to, you know, and he was a pioneer in the sense, not only was he the first, uh, one of the first football players to become wrestlers, he was a pioneer in the sense that he was one of, he was basically the first, um, non-shooter world champion wrestler uh, because prior to that you had to have or it was it was um, preferable not even preferable it was just how it was that if you were a wrestler and especially the top wrestler the world champion you would have a, a legit wrestling background and like I said he did win a, a championship in college for wrestling but shooter uh, wrestling shoot style wrestling is a whole different beast and that's all about like crippling submissions and just being able to, you know, beat anybody um, that you have to. Because back then they were still doing 
of course, uh, challenges out of the crowd and all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, Mun, who had a amateur wrestling background, but was not a shooter, was not trained in submissions. So if things went bad, um, which they tended to do from time to time, he wouldn't be able to um, stop a, a screw job from happening or getting hurt legit in the ring. And that's just what happened. Um, so he had held the title from uh, January 8th, 1925. And then in April of that year, he and they were the whole plan was eventually to build to a rematch with Lewis, um, where Lewis would probably get his win back. And he hadn't when Lewis lost to Munn, he dramatically refused to give up his diamond studded world title belt. And that got in the papers. And that was like a significant story that, yes. The, so there was a big uh, potential for a huge rematch between them. But unfortunately, <laughs> that didn't end up happening because on April 15th, 1925, in Philadelphia, he uh, Wayne Munn wrestled Stanislaus Zabisco. And he was supposed to win. He was booked to win. But Zabisco, who was a notorious shooter and a tough guy, double-crossed Munn and took the title on a shoot. And the reason this happened and the reason this match happened was before that, with uh, the promoter, Billy Sando, everyone thought Zabisco was on their side and he had been on their side. He had been making money for Sando for several years. But there was another promoter, Jack Curley, who was uh, big in the East, but he had been muscled out recently uh, by Sandow and he was wanting his revenge. And I think he'd been plotting for a moment like this for years. And finally, with Munn now as the champion and not a shooter, he had his chance. So he basically probably gave Stanislaus Zabisco a ton of money, extra money, to uh, double-cross uh, Munn and Billy Sando and the, the whole Goldust trio in Philadelphia. So he forced Zabisco to submit legit and took the title. And this was a bit of a scandal at the time. Munn was pretty much ruined uh, as, as a top guy because of this. They couldn't do the big rematch with Strangler Lewis. And uh, things were a mess for a while. If you know your history of wrestling in the 20s and 30s, this wasn't unusual. There was a lot of double crosses, screw jobs. It was uh, the Wild West era for wrestling, that's for sure. And unfortunately, Wayne Munn was a, a victim of it. Uh, he only wrestled for three more years, until 1928. And he died very young. He died in 1931. So he wasn't, uh, what was he? He was just in his early 30s. And uh, he was probably, you know, kind of forgotten for many years. But um, Luthez, especially in his book, wrote a lot about him. Uh, so that helped get his name back in the, the spotlight. And historians have worked hard in, over the years to, to do more research on him because he was someone at the time was quite notable and what he accomplished in wrestling or what, he, <laughs> what happened to him in wrestling was quite notable. So that's, that's Wayne Munn, the original OG. Any relation to Larry Zabisco is the real question here. <laughs> oh, for Stanislaus. Well, yeah, there was also Vladik Zabisco. They were brothers. and But no, no relation. But that was where um, Larry got the name from. Because uh, Larry Zabisco's real name was Larry Whistler. And uh, he took the Zabisco name when he got into wrestling. Because it was still, you know, in the 70s, it was still well known. Awesome. All right, Kelly, up next, we have Gus Sodenberg. Tell us about Gus. Okay, Gus Sodenberg was born March 6th, 1898 in Ewan, Michigan. Uh, 
And in contrast to Wayne Munn, he was not a very big man. He was five foot six and 196 pounds. That was his uh, playing weight anyway. And yeah, but he was still, he was a great football player as we're going to see here. So he went to college in Dartmouth and Detroit Mercy. Now, I, I don't know. Well, Detroit Mercy is definitely a long gone um, as far as football. Basketball goes. school. Yeah. Oh, okay. Still a basketball is Dartmouth school. In, is, the, is Dartmouth in New Hampshire? I want Yeah, I was going to say definitely in the northeast and, and up there somewhere in New England. Yeah, we, put a, I, we could have, in my high school, we put a kid in Dartmouth two years ago. Yeah, it's definitely a school that has prestige to its name. Like, Absolutely. I, 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 I know. It. Hmm. F yeah, yeah, I think so. I was going to say, like, not a true Ivy League school, but yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, Detroit Mercy, yeah, I think they play, their football program ended maybe in the 60s. I'm not 100% sure on that. But one. yeah, I think they were a decent uh, uh, team at that time. And he played for them, like I said, early 20s. He was a tackle. He was also a fullback and a slash tailback. And this would have been, of course, during the two-way days for players. So, yeah, he would have played both uh, offense and defense. And, yeah, so he was a notable college star. So Gus went to the NFL in 1923. This was, of course, the very early days of the league. And he played for several teams over the years in the 20s. And they're all basically teams lost to history. So he played for the Buffalo All-Americans and the Columbus Tigers in 1923. He played in uh, 1925 and 1926 for the Detroit Panthers. So kind of a hometown team for them. And most notably, he played for the Providence Steamroller. And that's uh, singular, not plural. Uh, he played for them 1927, 1928, uh, and 1930. Um, yeah, so those names are all... <laughs> Lost to history. He was a three-time All-Pro. So he was a, a definitely a notable talent at the time. And the 1928 team that he was on in Providence did win the NFL championship. And this was in the days where they didn't even have a championship game yet. Wow. It was all based on a winning percentage, I believe, at the end of a season. And I, some teams played way more games than other teams. It was all kind of messy for the first decade at least of the NFL and teams came and went. And uh, yeah, I mean, you had the bears and the Packers, they survived that whole era and the giants I think came in midway through the twenties. But mm -hmm. other than that, it was a bunch of teams that uh, some would relocate to other teams, including my Philadelphia Eagles. They were the Frankfurt uh, yellow jackets originally. Um, but yeah, definitely a different era. And then, so he was, you know, a successful football player, but also money was an issue at that time because the NFL was not able to pay a ton of money. So Gus got into wrestling and he got into it in 1928. And he was made a big deal right from the get-go because he was still in the prime of his NFL career and making headlines there. And it was kind of a like a, a redo of the Wayne Munn situation. But I think Sonnenberg was maybe a little more uh, versed in the ring and, and could um, 
take care of himself, but I'm not 100% sure about that. But anyway, he had a long wrestling career, 1928 to 1942. And in fact, he defeated Wayne Munn in one of uh, his first matches. And it was actually one of Munn's last matches in 1928. So there was a brief crossover there with the two uh, early football stars that became wrestlers. He also held uh, the world title like Wayne Munn, but he held it on multiple occasions in 1929 and 30. And he had several matches with Strangler Lewis. Um, it was basically a feud. Um, they, they wrestled for several years. And, but he stuck around and, and, and like I said, wrestled to 1942. Um, he was always, I think, at the top of the cards. Um, here we see him with Babe Ruth. Um, so there, there was, you know, a significant meeting of two of uh, the golden age of sports um, uh, great athletes. Right there, and you can see definitely <laughs> Babe towered over him. And Honnerberg <laughs> was not a big guy, but uh, he was pretty capable in the ring. Uh, we're going to talk about one of his matches that are that is on YouTube, actually, believe it or not, um, at the end of the show. And uh, he definitely um, he definitely looked good in that footage. I thought um, he used the flying tackle as a finisher which, of course, that was uh, natural, being a wrestler. But it was like a really, it was a well-protected move. Like, it meant, like, the, the match was pretty much over once he started busting those out. Um, I think it was almost like a flying headbutt, too, or at least that's what he used in the, the footage we saw. So, yeah, I, I, I mean, I've only seen the one match of him, um, but he, he looked pretty good. Um, he didn't look like someone that had to be carried. Um, but, yeah, he had 14 years, eventually, of experience in the ring, um, he doesn't have the best reputation as a, as a person. Uh, I'll just throw out a few things about how he was kind of a, a mean drunk. Uh, there was incidents. Uh, I think he was actually involved in a car accident when he was drunk that, that killed, um, someone else, unfortunately. And on one site I visited, it said that he, one of his favorite things to do was to go to a bar and throw it like a $20 bill down on the bar and then sit back and wait for somebody to come up and grab the $20 bill and try to take it. And then Mun or uh, Sonnenberg would then come and attack the guy and beat him up for trying to take the $20 bill. So if that's true, he was uh, a real piece of work. That's for sure. Um, but yes, definitely a, a, a had a serious drinking problem and he died relatively young too in 1944. So he was only in his mid forties when he passed away. So yeah, that's it for uh, Gus. Kelly, go ahead and tell us about Buckets Goldenberg. Yeah, Goldenberg. Uh, we're going to be talking probably more about Goldenberg than we'll be talking about Goldberg later on. Um, this was, yeah, who's next? Um, this was the one that I discovered from Kayfabe Memories. I, I had not heard of him before, but he was brought up as someone who uh, was a notable wrestler from football. And yeah, he was he was a pretty notable football player, as we'll get into it. So he was born Charles Robert Goldenberg. I'm not sure why he was called Buckets. I just realized that I didn't uh, look up why he was called Buckets, but we can only imagine. Um, he was born March 10th, 1910, in what is now the Ukraine, but was then part of the Russian Empire. 
And I believe he immigrated with his family to the United States quite young. He was 5'10", 215 as a, as a football player. So that was a decent size at the time. He went to the University of Wisconsin in the early 30s, and that's where he grew up. He grew up in Wisconsin. And he was a right guard primarily, but he also, in the NFL, I see that he did uh, play offense a bit. He was a BB. I guess that's a blocking back. Um, like a fullback hat, yeah. Yeah, because he did have, uh, in his early years anyway, some rushing yards and some rushing touchdowns. Uh, but mostly he played on the offensive line. Um, and he was a very, uh, very good football player. The Packers in the thirties, um, in the forties, he played, uh, in the NFL and exclusively for the green Bay Packers from 1933 to 1945. And that was, um, basically the first golden era for the green Bay Packers. Uh, they won several NFL championships at that time. Um, Buckets himself was a one-time pro bowler and a one-time second team all pro. And most notably, though, he was named to the 1930s All-Decade team. So that's quite an accomplishment. And that's a cool little uh, trading card there. I think that was one made later, not, not uh, of course, at the time. But it also <laughs> shows him as a football player, number 43. Um, he played on three NFL championship teams. So, yeah, he, they, like I said, the Packers are very successful in that era. And yeah, and he was a very successful football player. But he, uh, like some others, needed to supplement their income. So in 1933, when he would have been just a few years into his NFL career, he also got into wrestling. And there he is. (laughs) That's the only picture of him as a wrestler that I could find. Um, Great picture it is. (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) Very white. and he only wrestled for three years, 1933 to 1936. But he was, because of his football um, fame, he was put into big matches right away like the other guys. Um, and he had crossovers with two out of the other three men that we're uh, talking about today. He lost to Gus Sonnenberg April 2nd, 1936 in Green Bay. So uh he lost uh, before his uh, hometown fans to Gus Sonnenberg by countout. Um, I think they may have wrestled uh, a few on a few other occasions too, but that was the first. And he had a big match that was built up basically by two guys that were still uh, current football players. Um, so that was uh, unique at the time. It was a big match against Bronco Nagurski, who uh, we're going to be talking about shortly. And this was uh, May 28th, 1935 in Minneapolis. And he also lost that match. So it seems like uh, Buckets was, you know, he wasn't a top, top guy. Uh, Yeah. Not (laughs) like Nagurski, not even like Sonnenberg or Munn. He was more of a, yeah. Yeah. Jobber to the stars would be maybe uh, uh, an accurate uh, uh, way to, um, categorize him as a football or as a wrestler but i'm definitely a main eventer uh, but he never it didn't seem like he ever got any wins over any of these other uh football players or any of the big names and like i said Dolph ziggler 
Yeah, <laughs> there you go. But for a much, much shorter period of time. <laughs> Ziggler should have only had this long of a career. Uh, 33 to 36, so only three years. Uh, I think he's, yeah, he still played football until 1945. Yeah, he had a long uh, football career, but only a brief wrestling career. But it was a significant one. He, he wrestled the big, big names of his era. And uh, he lived until April 16th, 1986. So he had a nice long life. And he's, yep, yeah, he's uh, he's uh, like an all-time great Packer, really, if you go mm. back all the way to their, their beginnings. So, but he's not in the NFL Hall of Fame. I think he, I believe he's the only member of the 1930s All-Decade team not to be enshrined in Canton, Ohio. So maybe we can start a uh, Buckets Goldenberg for the NFL Hall of Fame campaign. Should have dropped a note when I was there last month. Missed my chance. There you go. Yeah, suggestion box. <laughs> yeah, Gus on a, or a Buckets Goldenberg underlined an exclamation mark. Um, yeah, so that's that's Buckets. There's not a not a ton on him, but um, he had a significant NFL career and he had a significant but short uh, wrestling career. Excellent. All right, Kelly, our last guy here, Bronco Nagurski. What do you got for Bronco? Good old Bronco. Yeah, good old Bronco. So we saved the best for last. And I think that going forward, that's what we'll do. The, the last one we talk about will be um, probably our the main most eventer significant. Safe? Yeah, this is our main eventer. And it's, you know, he well-deserved because this guy was a legend in both football and wrestling. So Bronco was born November 3rd, 1908 in Rainy River, Ontario. So, yes, he is, uh, was a Canadian by birth. Uh, his family settled in Minnesota when he was about five years old, though. And that was probably for the best because he wouldn't have uh, had a superstar football career and probably a wrestler, superstar wrestling career if he didn't move to the United States. Um, he was six foot two and 226 pounds. So he was, a, yeah, a giant of a man. We'll be looking at photos here. And he was he would be perfectly fine in modern day wrestling. He looks like, uh, yeah, like a quintessential prototype, prototypical wrestler. Uh, great look. Um, definitely had like a like that tough face, but also like rugged good looks. Um, he was a big star. So he went to the University of Minnesota, 1927 to 1929. At this time, uh, Minnesota was a pretty big power in college football. Um, they would in the thirties actually win three consecutive national championships and no team, uh, since has done that. And Georgia this year is looking to become the second three, uh, three peat champion in college football history. So yes, Minnesota was a power and he was their best player. He was a fullback linebacker, played tackle as well. He was a one-time all American consensus in 1929. Um, his number 72 for the University of Minnesota was retired. And he was a member of the inaugural class of the College Football Hall of Fame in 1951. So him being a member of the inaugural class of Hall of Fames is a reoccurring uh, thing here because uh, he's got two more to go. So just based on his college stats and college career, he was a significant uh, athlete, significant football player. Sure. But of course, he went to the NFL. In 1930, this was the second decade for the NFL. They were starting to 
find their footing a bit more after a rough first decade. And he went to the Chicago Bears, um, already a, a significant team. Uh, Red Grange, a uh, famous college player in the 20s, played for the Bears. So they had quite a backfield at this time. Um, and the 30s would be a big decade for the Bears, as they were for the Green Bay Packers. And that's, you know, the basis of their long rivalry is, is, is back in the days, the 20s and 30s, when they were both powerhouse teams. So Bronco played in the NFL from 1930 to 1937 and then came back in 1943 and played one more year. Um, basically what happened was in 1937, he'd already been uh, wrestling uh, in, in the off seasons for a few years, but in 1937, he outright quit the NFL because he wasn't making enough money and could make more money as a full-time pro wrestler. So that's a pretty significant uh, aspect to the story and just shows you how different things were back in those days. But he did come back to the NFL in 1943 at the height of World War II because uh, the NFL, like Major League Baseball, had a shortage on talent due to the war effort. And so uh, Bronco came out of retirement. He was still wrestling professionally at this time, too, uh, and played one more. I don't know if he played a full season, but he definitely played um, at the end and in for the championship game in 1943. And the Bears, his final game as a Bear, they won the NFL championship. Um, which was his third NFL title as a professional. Uh, he was a four-time All-Pro. Yeah, uh, member of the 1930s All-Decade team. And, I mean, I have his stats here. Uh, they don't sound impressive by modern standards. But at the time, like, he led the league in touchdowns once, 1932, but with only four. Uh, four <laughs> rushing touchdowns. <laughs> uh, these games must have been quite low-scoring. Um, you know, like very much a three yards in a cloud of dust style of offense. Um, but he, he, I mean, he had decent rushing totals for the time, 533 yards, actually two years in a row, 586. Um, and he also played, he, he was actually, um, uh, used as a passer, uh, not, not the quarterback, but he threw a lot of passes. I think in some years he actually threw more passes than the quarterback for the uh, bears, <laughs> believe it or not. But it was, like it's I said, a single a, wing. yeah, it was a different era when like the halfback could lead the team in passing. It, it's crazy yeah, they, to think about. They call that the, <laughs> the beast, the beast formation where it's like six down football, pretty much kind of, okay. kind of what you see from Jalen hurts a little bit now, like yeah. in a way with all the uh, right. gap sound and offensive, when you play when six back offenses, when your quarterback is, like a running back, so to speak. So yeah, sixth attack and the quarterback isn't dead. Yeah, no, it, I mean, everything always kind of comes back and I've always been a fan of, of quarterbacks that can run. Of course, that's mm -hmm. the lineage in, in Philadelphia. Um, but yes, great, great. It's a great, uh, it's better than just uh, pure passing. That's for sure. Um, so yeah, thirties all decade team. And then in 1963, he was part of the inaugural class of the NFL Hall of Fame. So that's two inaugural classes for Bronco. Um, he was also on the NFL's 75th anniversary team, which was a big deal at the time when that was released. Uh, got a lot of uh, publicity, a lot of hype. And uh, his number three was retired. So that's two retired numbers. Um, yeah, like just a, a very decorated NFL career. Uh, one of the great players in the 1930s. Maybe the argument could be made as the greatest player of the 1930s in the NFL. 
and but we still have the wrestling to talk about. So he got into it in 1933, uh, part-time. And that's what I meant when I said that he could be a modern-day wrestler. Just looking at him there, that looks very modern, uh, except for the haircuts and maybe in the boots and the trunks. <laughs> but anyway, um, so he wrestled part-time at first, then from 1937 to 41, he wrestled. Oh, I guess he did take a break. He didn't wrestle again until 1945. So when he did go back to the Bears in 43, he was, wasn't wrestling at that time. But he did go back again in 45, and he stuck around until 1959. Um, so he wrestled for quite a long time. Let's see, how old would he have been there? He would have been just, yeah, he would have been in early early 50s when he finally retired. Wow. So I don't know if it was, you know, he, he didn't manage his money well, or he just really liked it. Because in some of the bits that I read about him, he didn't have a lot of complimentary, complimentary things to say about wrestling when he was older. Um, and he even in one uh, article, he said he quit in 1950. But uh, no, if you look at the, the results, he he wrestled for basically a decade more than that. But he didn't uh, really uh, want to talk about his later years in wrestling. Um, he did wrestle Gus Sonnenberg multiple times in 1937, 1938. And one of those matches is on YouTube. And Ryan and I watched it the other day. Um, Nagurski held multiple world titles from 1937 to as late as 1948. And in those days, this was pre-NWA, so there was a lot of different world titles. It's very confusing. Uh, I'm not sure uh, exactly uh, which world titles he held, but I think at one point he was basically the consensus um, undisputed champion in the late 30s. And as an interesting note for somebody we're going to be talking about next time, he teamed with Vern Gagne in the late 50s. Um, and they won the tag titles, I think, a couple times, um, or at least once for sure. So it was interesting because he had, by that point, he was just wrestling in Minnesota back, you know, in his home state. And that's where Vern was, of course. And this was just before the AWA started. But Vern was uh, already a huge star and wrestling, of course, a lot in Minnesota. So they held a, like a regional version of the tag world tag team titles in the late 50s. And I thought that was a neat little bit of trivia that I just discovered doing research uh, for Bronco. And lastly, he was a member of the inaugural class of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame, class of 1996. Um, So three for three for Bronco. I don't, did the WWE ever put him in, in like one of those mass? Yeah, I think one of the mass. Yeah. Where they kind of have the ticker and they mention... The yeah, ceremony type of ones. I believe he was he's in it for that, like an achievement one or whatever. Yeah. They say. I don't think they're going to. Yeah, no, there, there's not, not going to be any speeches or uh, anything, but I think they put in like Gorgeous George and a bunch of the, the old timey guys all yeah. in one class one year. And so, yeah, I, I wasn't 100 percent sure if he was one of them, but that's cool. So he's in that Hall of Fame, too. So he's he's basically in every Hall of Fame of a uh, note <laughs> that he uh, could be in. Um, he lived until January 7th, 1990. So he also had a pretty good long life. And yeah, Nagurski, he's he's a legend, a legend in football and a legend in wrestling. And yeah, definitely worth uh, checking out on YouTube as we're going to get to here. Uh, but yeah, that's all I have on Bronco. And that's all we got for the OGs, for the Pioneers. 
All right, Kelly, here we are with my with the depth chart. How do you think of what do you think of my little uh, configuration here? Did I think no, I, with I, imagination? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like it. That's good. Um, it's going to be interesting to see all the positions filled out over the coming months. For sure. All right, so let's start with the easy one. Buckets. He's our right guard. Let's just easily plug him over here at guard. See you later. All right, Wayne is another guard. So it looks like we got two guards here. Yeah, all right. So hopefully there's not much wiggle room or we're going to have to discuss this later. <laughs> well, it seems with the early guys, there's, they're either linemen or backfield, yeah, halfbacks. So there's not too much yeah. variety. Yeah, so uh, Gus Sodenberg here, he's a running back for now, we assume. We'll, we, uh, we'll adjust the fullback later. We'll see what our offense looks like yeah. when the time comes. But he's yeah. in our running back, running back depth chart. And then Bronco, what are you thinking? Are we thinking offense or defense here? I think Bronco, prime. well, I mean, his biggest um, moments were on offense. So, yeah, I definitely think you got to have him at halfback. But he was also apparently a very good uh, linebacker. Um, linebacker, too. All right, so let's play the, let's play the game here. Um, Bronco is a Hall of Famer. He would be ahead of the tail, ahead of the depth chart. Yes. Yeah. On yeah for, for sure. sure. And then yeah. what about Buckets and Munn? I think it got a well, yeah, because Munn just had the two years tops yeah. at Nebraska, and Buckets had a great NFL career. So yeah, you got to have Buckets on top there. So yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> Four guys and uh, two positions already. Already some depth at running back and and guard. Um, so but we we'll definitely add some down. others. Okay, we're going to run some twenty-one personnel here. Two back, one <laughs> tight end, and we'll kind of go from there. <laughs> we'll see how yeah. it shakes well, out. I, yeah, I think the backfield is already very strong. So, so, probably twenty-two personnel when we by the time we get there. Perhaps thirty. Yeah. Perhaps thirty-two by the time it's said and done. But we'll see. <laughs> that's it for the day. Yeah. But this is uh, that's how the depth chart kind of lays out. But we'll kind of move them around as we go, as we mm -hmm. add new, you know, new positions with guys as we get deeper into the episodes. But that's just a nice mm -hmm. quick introduction. All right, now our match recommendation here, Kelly. Uh, what we want to do is. We want to present a match for each guy that we talk about, uh, a recommendation from you, and then mm -hmm. hopefully we can go outside of our circle here and get a recommendation from someone outside of the episode, and we can mm -hmm. incorporate their list. So perhaps, yeah. uh, I'm sure you know plenty of guys, I'm sure I know plenty of guys, and that shouldn't be a problem. And if you want to give a recommendation for a match, maybe you can leave a comment down below and we'll consider it. What do you think, Kelly? Consider it? Oh yeah, the more the merrier, for sure. Uh, going forward, there should be no shortage of uh, potential recommendations. But for this first episode, there's basically two. Um, Wayne Munn, yes. as far as I can tell, there's no footage of him, at least on YouTube. Um, and if there is footage, I don't know if there'd be much at all. And Buckets Goldenberg, I couldn't find anything. I Yeah, who knows if somebody in their attic has uh, some old... Uh, reels of buckets wrestling maybe but uh, not on youtube but there is a few bronco nagurski matches mm -hmm. on youtube and uh only one gus sonnenberg match that i could find but uh coincidentally he it's against, against bronco nagurski yeah against bronco Gil. and gus yeah um from august 3rd 1938 los angeles california Two out of three falls. I think this was maybe a title match. Yes. Not a hundred. Yes, it was. Yeah, that's, that's right. It. It's even at the beginning. I believe there's a card that has 
um, the title. And Nagurski at this point was was the champion. Um, and Sonnenberg had been the champion previously. Uh, so this was a big match. Uh, we both the undisputed fought. championship of the world. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's definitely, yeah, it was, like I said, it was kind of, um, there was a bunch of different titles, title claimants at the time. It was confusing, but uh, Bronco was, was uh, definitely held at least one of the major ones. So we both watched this match just the other day and we both uh, really enjoyed it. I think. Yes. It's my first trip down. Uh, let's say black and white, black and white lane. Uh, oh, I, wow. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I really thought Gus was super fun. I, that, that flying headbutt that you mm-hmm. talked about earlier really mm-hmm. popped me. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I just felt that Gus had a lot of natural in-ring charisma. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe you, you let us know he was quite the asshole, but I believe he yeah. got that, that pit bull instincts to the ring. And mm-hmm. I, I really did it. I went three and a quarter on the match in a 13 minute, it was pretty sluggish, but the final stretch was rather excellent. Mm-hmm. So um, for modern day, three and a quarter is, uh, I would say, pretty pretty excellent for a 1938s match. Yeah, I was uh, pleasantly surprised. We got most of the match other than a few clips. Yeah. Um, first fall was, yeah, definitely um, a mat uh, exhibition and, uh, you know, struggle for holds and stuff. But it was all very interesting and compelling. Yes. Um, it, it felt like a real wrestling match. And then you built it throughout to where the third fall was very fast paced and you finally mixed in the high spots mm-hmm. and yeah, it was, it was good. Both guys want to fall. And then Nagurski, uh, took it in the end. Uh, Sonnenberg took a great bump at the end there on a missed uh, flying tackle. And yeah, yeah, I really liked it. I said, if this was a match today, like that was on, um, WWE or wherever, I would probably go nuts and rate it four stars because it's so unique and, and against what, what is uh, usually um, what wrestling we usually get these days. So, uh, but I, I, I thought about, it. yeah, I, I think three and a half is, is more accurate. Um, Mind you, it, no commentary too. No, there's yes. no sound, there's no commentary, there's nothing. So you're really invested in the movement, yes. in the in-ring story. Yeah, complete silence. Uh, not not even music or anything, um, but it's definitely worth uh, people's uh, time to check out. I will drop I, the link of the match in the comments for sure. Yeah, it goes by quick too. It's like less than fifteen minutes. It's yeah, it's 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 a really good match. And the second recommend recommend uh, and the second match you recommended was Bronco Nagurski versus Jim Landis Landis in a singles match for the undisputed heavyweight championship of the world. I think. Mm-hmm. November yes. 18th, 1938, from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the city of losers. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes. Uh, a, they're, go- they're going through a, a, a more of a winner phase, although they lose the uh, championship games. Uh, but what, what can you do? I, could, I couldn't get past not saying it. Uh, <laughs> 28 second slugfest, much more pass, uh, much more fast paced than the first match, but still with the high points that we got with the tail end of that first match. Um, Bronco was it's just that double. I just wanted to. I watched this on my break from work. I wanted to go back and just double hook suplex my apprentice and just. I was really, <laughs> I was really into it. I want to see more Bronco. I I I, I yeah. uh, had to think that you know Gus stole the first match here, but really Nagurski shined in the second one. From a uh, yeah athletic standpoint, let's say to speak, or a uh, ferociousness or whatever. Yeah, no, this is a highly regarded match. Um, 
I, yes. I it's been I a while three since three quarters, mind you. Yes. Yeah, it's been a while since I've seen it, but when it came out, it was like you know a big uh, news of the day. Oh, this this Nagurski Londos match is out there. It's it's and it's considered yeah by some like the best match we have from the 1930s of anybody. Um, yeah. Londos was a legendary wrestler. He was the big star of the 1930s, and this was a big time match. It's great to see Londos as well as Nagurski because there's not a lot of Londos footage out yeah. there. Um, yeah, and and the footage quality is really good. And we got announcing yeah. this time. The guy was very dry yep. and deadpan, but I thought he was very good and effective and added to the story of the match. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's cool to see wrestling from from this era. And and you know, it it holds up. I like there's certain eras where you're like, uh, you know, this isn't for me. But a lot of the stuff I've seen from the the black and white days, shall we say, uh, is really good. And uh, and just with a lot of struggle and just no, you know, it just feels so fresh in a way because you're seeing yeah. things that, you, you know, they didn't probably do every night, you know, in, in repetition. I mean, of course, there was some spots that were uh, repeated, but it just feels so fresh in a way. Um, yeah, so I highly recommend this one too. I went uh Three, no, I went four on this because it's yeah, I bumped it up because of its significance. Um, I think if you gotta pick one from this era, this is a good one to go with. Um, yeah, it's it's as good as it gets from the 30s with the footage that we have for sure. Yeah, the the uh Landos match was a more complete, better match, but the peaks and the tail end of the Gus match kind of got me a little bit more invested, but overall, yeah. both. With the era all-time matches for sure <laughs> kelly that's it the first episode is in the books uh yeah oh, what'd you think pal i had some fun i had a blast yeah it, it was great i love talking about uh wrestling history football history so this is going to be fun going ahead for sure now we have a little we'll say governor's bet here i'm a new england native okay. big patriot fans Six Super Bowls say what? Um, Kelly, I don't know how uh, Alberta Canadian, Calgary Canadian, <laughs> Northwestern Canadian becomes a yeah. Philadelphia Eagles fan. But you want to give us a quick rundown on how that happened? Yeah, well, I got into football around, it was like the end, tail end of the 1990 season, uh, grade eight. And most of my closest friends at the time were already uh, heavily into football. And we started buying the pro set uh, football cards with our lunch Excellent. money. And that's, that's where it started. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and the Eagles at the time were good. And they had, of course, Randall Cunningham. And I fell in love with Randall Cunningham first and foremost, and then just transferred it to the Eagles. And I know <laughs> the f that would befall Randall Cunningham and, in, in uh, subsequent seasons but anyway it made me a lifetime eagles fan there was definitely highs and lows in the 90s but they've had a pretty good uh 21st century um not as good as the patriots of course but we did uh the the top year owner. very good yes yeah, and howie roseman's a top general manager i think that's the key um to bringing in uh new talent rotating things out keeping it fresh and this year, they on paper, they look great, but I'm cautiously optimistic. I've been a fan for, like I said, over 30 years. So I know 
things tend to go awry when they're uh, when the Eagles have a hyped up uh, team coming into the uh, season. Their best year, uh, their Super Bowl year, they definitely weren't hyped <laughs> coming into that season, and they won. And then the sub, the next year when they were defending champs, they were hyped uh, quite a bit, and then just barely made the playoffs. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. They have a tough schedule this year. They play at one point, I think, seven straight teams that made playoffs last year. So that's going to be uh, a death march. But uh, they should at least make the playoffs. If they don't make the playoffs, it'd be a titanic disappointment. <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah, for sure. But anyways, when, when there's a foundation that invests in the in the front front line on the defense and the front line in the offense, you, that's usually a pretty yes. good recipe for success. And uh, like I said, you have a really good owner, and you guys are mm-hmm. at the top of the class of NFL franchises, but yes, I mentioned a governor's bet as a big Patriots fan and a big Eagles fan. They square up on week one. Now, if the Patriots somehow defeat the Eagles, I say that that dark, what, what, what's that midnight green banner that this I created? Midnight for? green, baby. Yeah. 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 That midnight green banner for an episode or, or maybe two has to turn into that fire engine red Patriot color. I, it's just a little governor's bet, but uh, we'll see if you accept. <laughs> And oh, that's course, oh yeah, that's fine. <laughs> and if, if the Eagles win, we stay we we stay as is, and it is what it is. <laughs> oh yeah, well, there stakes, should be low stakes next. for me. Low stakes for me as a as <laughs> yeah. a touchdown a touchdown underdog in my home field. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say I wasn't gonna go out and buy a Patriots jersey just to wear uh, for the next show. So, um, changing the color is just fine. That's yeah, the Eagles. I think they're four point favorites right now. We'll see how that moves before we get. To the game. Um, the only thing for me is that they're retiring Brady's number uh, that day, and that tends to, you know, give the team extra motivation. I remember when the Giants um, retired Michael Strahan's number, the uh, a poor Giants team ended up beating the Eagles that day. So these things can happen. Uh, we'll see. But yeah, no, the the Eagles need these wins early on because their schedule gets super tough in a month or so. Well, we'll see next episode of, of how it went down. But, uh, yeah. Kelly, this is a successful first episode, and I'm looking forward to the next one, which is what, again? What are we going to do next for episode number two? So next time we're going to be heading to college. Uh, it's, you know, the season's starting here. The college season is already, uh, uh, I guess, unofficially begun. I don't know, week zero. Week zero, uh, week zero is uh, just a couple days ago. So... The college football uh, has started, we'll, so we'll start the proper look um, into different sort of areas of, of football with the players that you know made a significant dent in college, and then of course uh, became notable pro wrestlers. So yeah, we'll be looking at Vern Gagne. We'll be looking at Paul, Mister Wonderful Orndorff. We'll be looking at Ron Simmons. And uh, Bill Watts, I think, is the four on tap for next time. So it's going to be fun. Awesome. Some pretty known names in the wrestling industry. We'll see how they transition to the gridiron. So, Kelly, this is a great first episode, and we'll see you on the next one, buddy. Yeah. Take care, man.